Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. Let's jump into the word this morning. Uh, Last week, we talked about uh, raising the level of our expectations. And I tried to give us uh, two separate applications. One is for us as individuals. And um, the second is for us as a corporate body of believers. Um, Our church has been experiencing a lot of growth and a lot of transition. There's been a lot of uncertainty uh, regarding our building and this property over the last couple of years. And so I addressed that and I gave us kind of a recap of some of our history and the moments some of the bigger moments that God has come through where we just didn't, we didn't have resources and then just through a random person or a check in the mail or whatever God would provide for us. And uh, I talked about some of the crazy times that God has brought us through. And I encourage you, if you missed that, go back to YouTube or podcast and kind of catch up on that because it'll really kind of, I think it'll encourage your faith to see what God has done through people to move our church forward. And we talked about how expectation is learned behavior and that this begins even as children, that we learn that actions have consequences, both good and bad. We learn about the world around us. We learn about hot and cold and we learn about falling down and scraping our knee on the sidewalk. And then our repeated experiences with certain activities create expectation. Now, we didn't use this particular language last week, but we have talked about this before. There's something in psychology called negative bias. Has anybody ever heard of that? This is the propensity or the tendency to focus on and dwell on things that are negative, even when the good outweighs the bad. I mean, have you ever had one of those days where almost everything goes right? That's two people. Good. This, this next illustration is going to be good for a couple of us. Anyway, but this is one of those days you thought I was going to say wrong. But this is uh, one of those days. Just everything's going right. I mean, the sun is shining. The weather's beautiful. You've had a good hair day for those of us that still have a little hair. It's been a long time since I've had a hair day at all, let alone a good hair day. Um, but your makeup looks good. You feel cute. 25 people compliment your outfit. I know this feels like I'm only talking to the ladies, but hang on. I'm trying to make a point. And then after this full day of just feeling great about yourself, one person looks at you and says something like, where'd you get that shirt? The clearance rack from 1985? And you're like, actually, I did because the 80s are making a resurgence. So anyway. All right. So what happens is in that moment, after having this amazing day, one comment becomes our focal point. I came across this picture this week and I thought it was worth sharing. It's called negativity bias. So you have on this left side all of the good things, and on the other side you have this one bad thing. And then this is our life. Why is life so unfair? But this is how we live our lives a lot of times. And I'll give you a lighthearted example from this past week. How many of you were at the Everyday Church Hoedown? These guys aren't even excited about it after. All right, from now on. We're making a, a, I don't know, some kind of declaration. Every time someone says everyday church hoedown, your response is to be, yeah. <laughs> All right. So last week we had an amazing time. How many of you were at the everyday church hoedown? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. It makes sense. <laughs> we did a, a, a 
costume hillbilly kind of contest. I thought I did okay with my outfit. I got a couple of pictures. Um, here's me and Bennett together. And then uh, go to the next one. Here's me and a couple. I thought my outfit was okay. A couple of my beautiful daughters up there. All right, so here we are. Uh, first of all, multiple people said I look like Larry the Cable Guy. And, uh, <laughs> I, I'm still... I'm still not sure how to take that. I don't know if it was a compliment, uh, but either way, get her done. All right. All right, so back to negative bias. Our tendency to focus on and dwell on the negative, uh, which is what negative bias is, probably six years ago. Go back to the first picture, and you can see what I'm about to talk about, uh, my boots. All right, I'm going to tell you a story about these boots. I saw these boots online about six years ago. And I really like them. They're kind of, they're not hillbilly boots really, but they're kind of combat bootish. And uh, so I found them online at Kohl's and nobody had them in stock. And the, I finally found them in stock in Claremont. Now I'm working in Gainesville at the time. I'm commuting two hours a day, one hour there, one hour back. And then I found these boots in Claremont. And one day I decided I'm just going to go get them because I've been looking at them for like three or four weeks and they went on sales like black friday or something like the super sale they had them. i was like all right hold them i'm coming to get them all right so i go to get these boots for six years they've sat in my closet and i've never worn them in public one time until last week i finally broke out my brand new six-year-old boots because uh, they're the only boots i had for the hoedown uh, for the everyday church hoedown yeah. <laughs> you get it you're getting it <laughs> Because who cares if I look dumb? That's what I was going for, right? So I'm feeling good. Uh, and then one of our students walks up and he says, uh, Pastor Randy, whose boots are those? And I said, mine, waiting for the accompanying compliment that's been sitting in my closet for six years, to which he said, are you sure they look like Miss Katie's? <laughs> <laughs> so rather than focus on all the positives, rather than focus on all the amazing chili and food we had, rather than fo focus on the amazing decor and the amazing dream team of volunteers we had, rather than focus on all of our amazing staff, all I could think of was I look like I'm wearing my wife's boots. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I wasn't offended. I laughed about it a lot. Uh, but as funny as it was, and as that story is, it's often all it takes. Everything around us can be going great. And with one comment, we can just absorb that and we're like, it's, we're just de derailed. Um, we could just get sucked into like the seemingly bottomless pit of self-pity and despair. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Focusing on and dwelling only on the negative when there's so much good around us to focus on. All right, so what does this have to do with anything? Our negative bias often makes its way into our spiritual lives. And we become so focused on the negative and what could go wrong that we fail to step out in faith and trust God. Remember, we're talking about expectations. So on one side, we have all of these reasons why God is going to come through. And we talked about that last week, how he's come through in the past. I know he's going to come through in the future. But on the other side, we have this one voice whispering in our ear. You're not going to make it. You're going to fail again. God is not going to come through. God heals other people, but he's not going to heal you. And so we focus on the one negative voice. We believe the lies from the enemy of our soul as he just whispers them over and over into our ears. And we've trained ourselves to expect and focus on 
the negative and the worst possible outcome. Now, one of the ways that we fight this tendency, and I'm still reviewing a little bit, one of the ways that we fight this tendency to, to dwell on the negative is to remember what God's done in the past. In Psalms chapter 106, the psalmist recounts all that God had done for the nation of Israel. How he'd set them free from 400 plus years of slavery. How he defeated their enemies. He's just going on and on over all the things that God has done. Then we come to verse 13. And the psalmist says this, But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plans to unfold. And so last week we talked about how remembering what God has already done will help us to raise the level of our expectation. Because if he did it before, how many of you know he can do it again? Instead of expecting the worst, we can bring our expectation level into alignment with what God says about our situations. So last week I encouraged us to raise the level of our expectation. We can begin to eliminate fear and worry, knowing that God has come through in the past and he will come through in the present and he will come through in the future. Now, listen, I know that this kind of content in particular can get real preachy and we can get real excited. We can get worked up emotionally. We hear it through a filter that just gets us all worked up. And I'm in no way against emotions. I'm, no, I'm not against that at all. God created our emotions. We're emotional beings. He often uses our emotions to speak to us. We often sense his presence through our emotions, laughter and joy and, and crying. You know, people are worshiping the Lord and they're just crying. They're, God is speaking to them through their emotions. But I don't want us to be a church that places our faith in our emotions. I want us to be a church that places our faith in the word of God. So today I want to take this one step further. And instead of talking about raising the level of our expectations, I'm going to talk about unmet expectations. Because if we live by our emotions, then whenever our expectations are unmet, it will send us into a tailspin. And what do we do when our prayers go unanswered? What do we do when our prayers aren't answered in the way that we want them to be or expect them to be? Right. We all have our own God let me down stories. How do we reconcile that? Where's the balance between the Bible promises healing, but someone very close to me died of a died of a disease or I myself, I'm struggling with this persistent sickness or this debilitating disease. Where's the balance between the the Bible promises to protect us, but someone I know was love and in, someone I know in love was injured in a terrible accident, or maybe you yourself were wounded in some kind of freak accident, and you don't understand how God could allow that. Or maybe you find yourself asking, why is there so much suffering in the world at all? And if God is so loving, then why does He do? X, Y, or Z. We've heard these questions, if not asked them ourselves. Unmet expectations. This is a deep concept. And it's a subject that really we all have to deal with. And yet at the same time, no one fully understands. And I wrestled for days whether to even breach this topic. Because to be honest, I don't have all the answers. I know I say that a lot. Some of you are probably like, does this guy know anything? Uh, There's a lot of things I don't know. But one thing I do know is this. Jesus is our healer. He wants to heal us spiritually, physically, and emotionally. I'm going to go ahead and give you the end game of this message before we go any further so you can begin to posture your heart to receive healing from the Lord. As I wrestled with presenting this content, I felt like God was saying that he wanted to bring healing to those who were carrying hurt from unmet expectations. There are people in this room that have unmet expectations from sons and daughters. Your kids didn't do what you expected them to do, and you 
You have hurt over that. Unmet expectations from fathers or mothers. Unmet expectations from pastors and Christian leaders. Some of us are carrying hurt and feelings of being let down by God himself. And I think that God wants to bring some healing to those areas today. I want to revisit the passage of scripture we looked at last week in Mark chapter 9. Beginning at verse 14. And we sing about it just a moment ago. We're singing the song, God of Miracles. I love that line where it says, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right out of this passage of scripture. Verse 14, Mark chapter 9 says this. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. And a man in the crowd, a man in the crowd had Answer, teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And when it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought so they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It is often throwing him into the fire or to water to kill him. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but it helped me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that, that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Now, I know I said this last week, but I love how raw and honest this father is. First, he questions the ability of Jesus. In verse 22, he says, if you really can do anything, have pity on us, if you can. In other words, I've heard the stories. I've heard how you fed 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. I've heard how you opened blind eyes. I've heard how you've healed others. I've heard how you raised the dead. But if you really can do anything, have pity on us. You see the negative bias in the words of this father. He's focusing on the negative. The text doesn't specifically say, but I can't imagine that this is the first time that the father has sought help for his son. We have record in scripture of others who spend all their money going to the doctors trying to get well from debilitating diseases. Why would this father be any different? And we don't know exactly how old this boy was at the time, but we know from the text that he had been struggling with this demon possession since childhood. Now, in our American culture, we don't have a lot of reference point for this type of spiritual manifestation, a.k.a. demon possession. It's something that our culture downplays, makes fun of, and actually enjoys. Fear and the demonic have become big business, horror movies, haunted houses, and the like. I mean, we're right in the middle of all of that right now, right in the middle of the Halloween season as we speak. Katie and I went to Bush Gardens Recently, of course, every theme park is banking huge amounts of money right now with their fear and thrill seekers and all the haunted houses and things and hollow scream and whatever else that everybody does. But as we were walking through the park, we came across a, a voodoo themed area. And there was this wooden voodoo statue that's probably, I don't know, 15 feet tall. And 
on it was hanging other voodoo dolls. But it wasn't funny to me at all. And Katie and I talked about it. And I'll tell you why it wasn't funny, because of the amount of times that I've been to Haiti and experienced voodoo firsthand. Because of the amount of times that I've laid down to sleep and heard voodoo ceremonies right outside the gates of the compound that our team was staying in. Or the amount of times that drums would beat all through the night as voodoo priests would speak curses over the orphanage that we stayed in and over our teams. Or the time that I've seen the times that I've seen paralyzing fear over entire communities because of the stronghold of a voodoo priest. I don't want to derail us too much off topic, but I want to try to paint a firsthand picture of what this father in the book of Mark might have been feeling. I want to show you a picture of some actual voodoo dolls. Um, this is the last time that Katie and I were in Haiti. It was several years ago. It's going to be hard to make out for you that are in the back. But there's this tree. And then hanging on the, these, this tree is some voodoo dolls. We were walking through the community. And this one that's in the very front is a chair. And there's a person in the chair. And they're strapped and tied to this, this chair. It was a symbol of the... Um, it was a symbol that, of control for the voodoo priest. He was saying, I control this community. You're bound, and this is the symbol of that. And so people were very, very, very afraid. Now, what I'm about to tell you is, is pretty intense, and I don't, I don't want you to be caught off guard by that. Um, I know we've had some sixth graders that have transitioned in or whatever. My, my heart is not to create any kind of fear or whatever. I'm going to leave out a lot of details. Um, but what I'm about to tell you is, is something I experienced when I was Haiti, and it, this is all firsthand. And I'm only saying this, again, to try to paint a picture of what this father may have been experiencing. Several years ago, I took a, a large group of students to Haiti to minister, and we would feed the community during the day. We would play with kids. We would do kids' activities, kind of like a VBS kind of thing. And each night, we would do revival services for the community. People from all over would come, and we would preach the gospel. And on this particular night, we were in the middle of leading worship. And we had taken part of our fundraising was we took instruments, everything to the church that we were serving. Drums, bass, guitar, guitar, uh, keyboards. We took every sound system because the last time I was there, they just pieced together all the stuff. And when I saw what they had, I was like, we can do better than this. And so between trips, we raised money and we took everything that they needed to, to have to have church and be able to proclaim the gospel. And so we're there. And our worship team was playing. Man, I've never since, I don't think I've ever sensed the power of God in the middle of, of live worship like I have when we were there. And our teenage musicians played. And I remember, I remember our drummer would play. Man, and, and when you're there, where we were, it's just every night, it's just voodoo drums. But I remember, man, those drums just pounding. Man, and we declared a new sound rising from the instruments. And the power of God was so present. The church was so set free to worship. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Where everyone, and, and half the songs we sang were in English. They didn't even know what we were singing. But they were just going after God with all of their hearts. And so there we were, and we were leading worship. And we'd sing songs like this, and we just sang this a second ago. It's probably why it was stirring in my heart. But we sing, Nam when really poop on Jevivan. Nam when really poop on Jevivan. And we'd sing, my soul cries out to the living God, come. Or we'd sing, montre nous gloire, montre nous gloire, montre nous gloire. And we'd just sing, show us your glory, show us your glory. 
as we cried out to the Lord, I was leading worship from the guitar and a friend of mine was on the keyboard. This lady makes her way to the front and there were a lot of people in the front. And she begins to dance and she begins to worship. All around her, people are worshiping the Lord. And slowly she began to garner more and more attention. And then she began to scream out. And at first, honestly, it was hard to tell if she was worshiping or if something deeper was happening. She began to get louder and louder before it became clear this lady was possessed by a demon. Now, up until this moment in my life, I'd never seen anything like this. And like most of you, it was something I'd only seen in a horror movie or, uh, or something I'd only, only read about in Scripture. But here was this lady. And again, I'll spare you the details of everything that happened, but ultimately it led to this lady on the floor slithering around like a snake. And the local people didn't know what to do. I think there was like this mixture of Catholicism kind of thinking or whatever, and they began to throw water on her to try to get her to snap out of it. I'm not sure if they were trying to throw holy water. I don't, I don't even know what was going on. So it started with small sprinkles of water from a water bottle. And then it led to throwing full water bottles on her. These men would just run up and just throw a full water bottle on her, which led to getting actual, this is physical, not physical, this is really happening, uh, full actual buckets of water. They were coming in, and our, the church is a pole barn, basically. There's no sides, there's no walls. It's, we're, we're in a pole barn, we're outside. And they would come in and they would throw these buckets of water on this lady, which made the floor completely slippery, concrete floor, which made her being able to slither around like so much, much easier. Um, so I watched as these leaders of the church began to pray, and I prayed with them. We took all of our students and all of our teenagers, and the house that we stayed in was right next to the pole barn next to the church. We took them all out. They went into the gates, and they went over to the other side. And I wanted, you know, Adrian was with me. He was very small at that time. We just, I don't even know if he knew what was going on, but we just, we got our kids out of there, and we wanted them just to, to be, you know, they wanted to be there, of course, but I was like, you know, I want you to be out. So we, we dismissed them, and then later I came in, man. Man, they were just going after God. I've never been so proud of a group of students in all my life. When I came in, they were just, about 20 of them, they were just in a circle, holding hands, just praying in the Holy Ghost. They didn't know what to do, but they knew to pray. And they just prayed and they cried out to the Lord and the Holy Spirit. All right, so there we are. Here's this lady. She's slithering around on the ground. They're throwing water on her and they begin to pray and all this kind of stuff. This goes on for hours. It, went, it was so distracting that service was dismissed. The whole thing. Again, I've never experienced anything like this. You know, you grow up in Pentecostal circles. Be bless God, demon, cast him out in the name of Jesus. Yeah, you might. But when he shows up on your front door, it might look a little different than you think. And that's what happened. And we were all doing all the things, all the things we heard, all the things we grew up, you know. And I believe we have authority in Jesus' name. Of course we do. But I'm just telling you that as we walk through this, it looked different than what you think in your mind. So eventually, it got so late, I, I left. I went over, I was with the students, we got them all settled, we all went to bed. And of course, it was just this tense, intense night. I never saw the lady again, but they told me that the next morning that she was in her right mind and I, you know, God had moved on, on her behalf. The reason that I'm telling you this again is I'm trying to paint a physical picture of what this father may have been experiencing. Imagine what it would be like to watch your son or your daughter convulse so violently that they fall into nearby water or fire, which is what's described in this passage. Imagine if it were your son and daughter 
From the text, I get the picture that it probably looked like some kind of violent seizure. Some of you have been in the room have been around someone who had an epileptic seizure or some kind of thing. And that's if you've never seen that the first time you see it, it's very scary. I don't know if that's what it looked like. But to me, the description is the only thing I have to kind of to in my mind to, to, to put some kind of mental picture with that. But imagine that's your son. That's your daughter. And the seizure is multiplied beyond anything that you've ever seen because of the demonic activity. How desperate would you be to find help for your son or daughter? That's the mental state of this father. He's likely sought help from doctors. He's probably sought help from other religious leaders. And then he hears a man about a man who supposedly does miracles. And he comes to him and he says, if you can do anything, have pity on us. Jesus isn't there and against his better judgment, he probably uh, probably against his better judgment. He brings the boy to the disciples and he's like, well, maybe they can do something. But once again, he's let down. His son is not healed. And his experience has led to unmet expectations. This leads us back to Mark chapter 9, 22. I've referenced this two or three times, but he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us. If you can, Jesus said, he uses his words back. If you, what do you mean, if you can? Of, of course I can. Because everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but my experience says that my son isn't ever going to be healed. I do, I do believe. But my experience says something completely different. I don't know, we talked a lot about this last week, but I just felt like we want, I wanted to revisit. I wanted to revisit this story and try to insert ourselves into it so we could feel what this father may have been feeling. Now, many of us in the room have felt or are currently feeling this exact tension that the father was feeling. I believe, but part of me doesn't. My experience says otherwise. I believe you can, but I just don't know. I've seen you heal others, but I don't think you'll heal me. I've seen you come through for other people. You probably won't come through for me. And we live in this tension with our negative bias, only focusing on the negative when we have so much on the other side. So some of us are living in this exact tension. So rather than asking again, we simply sit on the sideline and accept whatever it is that we're facing. Because our expectation of being let down is keeping us from experiencing our miracle. Because we just stop asking. Now, in this story, there are two people that are set free. One of them is very obvious. That's the boy. He's demon-possessed. He comes. Jesus heals him. But the second one is more subtle, and I think you have to look deeper into the story. It's, it's the father. Because the father is set free from the worry, the anxiety, and the hurt of unmet expectations. All of the times that he sought help for his father. And again, the, the text doesn't say that. I'm, I am reading into that. I can't imagine as a father that he's not sought help before. Even if there's no other, even if he didn't, he at least sought help twice. Once for the disciples and then once to Jesus. 
But the father is also set free from all of the internal turmoil that he's experiencing. I spent a lot of time building this up, and I don't have a lot of material left. We're going to pray in just a few moments. The rest of this could have been three points, four points, whatever, and we could have just, but I've condensed it down just to do a very short thing. Let me give you just a few things about unmet expectations. Unmet expectations come from a lot of different sources. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations. Sometimes we think things like, well, the scripture says I'm an overcomer, therefore I will never face defeat. Well, that's an unrealistic expectation. To think that as a Christ follower, we'll never experience loss or grief or heartache is an unrealistic expectation. Jesus never promised us a life of no pain. He promised us he would always be with us. And that's hard for us a lot of times because we don't, nobody likes pain. Of course we don't. But when we go through life with an unrealistic expectation, whether it's placed on Scripture, placed on God, or placed on others, it will lead to unmet expectations. So it's unrealistic expectations, and then others of us have misplaced expectations. We're expecting someone else to do something for us that only God can do. When we misplace our expectations... We put expectations on people for them to do things that they're just not capable of. And this looks differently for different people. There are people in the room that have lost a job. You lost a job that you loved and you've never recovered. You had misplaced expectations that your job was your provider. And now the job is gone. And you find yourself always trying to get back to what used to be. There are people in the room that have experienced great loss, whether it's through divorce or death or separation or bankruptcy or repossessions or whatever. Your joy and satisfaction and fulfillment was found in another person. And now that that person has gone, your joy, your satisfaction, your sense of fulfillment is also gone. There's some people in the room right now that are in toxic relationships and you have misplaced expectations that these relationships are going to bring you peace. But it's misplaced and it's unrealistic to expect that someone else is going to give me the peace that only God can provide. When we have unrealistic and misplaced expectations, it will always lead to unmet expectations. Always. And maybe you're wondering why this even matters. There's an old church saying that says expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. I believe that that's true. And while it isn't a verse that's found in Scripture, we certainly see the principle alive and well. People all over Scripture, people over and over would go to Jesus with expectation. And they were not disappointed. When we shift our expectations of fulfillment, love, joy, peace, healing, etc., away from people who can never satisfy those longings. And we place our trust in Christ and Him alone. Our expectations will not only be met, but they will begin to change. See, a lot of us have expectations that are just really not in alignment with Scripture at all. But when we place our trust fully in Jesus, He begins to shape us and form us 
so that we're now expecting exactly what he has already said we could have. As I was typing these notes, they didn't come out the way I expected. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) If I were getting graded on a message, uh, I don't know if this would even pass as far as a grade. I presented questions at the beginning that I didn't even address by the end. Ultimately, my heart is that those who might be feeling frustration because of unmet expectations would find healing today. Um, In just a few moments, we're going to pray together. Adrian, you can come and play. We're going to wrap this up. We're going to spend the rest of the time praying. Um, Some of you in the room have expected things from people that they just couldn't provide. Others in the room have had right expectations of people. For example, maybe you expected your mom or your dad to be there for you as a child and they weren't. It was an unmet expectation, but that wasn't your fault. It wasn't misplaced. They were set there by God to do something and they let you down and you have unmet expectations, which has created a cycle in your life of mistrust of anybody in authority. God wants to bring healing to those places today. Maybe you had right expectations of a pastor or a Christian leader in your life to offer you hope and build you up. But instead you were beaten down, taken advantage of and left in the wake of selfishness. Listen, after being the lead pastor for almost five years, I could tell you this is a hard job. I've hurt people inadvertently. Recently, we sat down with a close friend because just something had happened. There was some misunderstanding. I'd sent a, a message and it just, it did it. There was a couple typos, <laughs> which changed, you know, when you read it back with the typos, you're like, oh, I can see how that was. This is somebody I had a relationship for years and years and years. And ultimately, we are like, we got to get together right now and we got to fix this. And I sat across my dining room table with this, these people and I cried and I said, this is not what I meant. But I know that I created hurt. And we're still, we're still navigating what that looks like coming out of this season where I inadvertently hurt somebody. So I know that pastors and leaders inadvertently hurt people. But you should be able to expect from your pastor them to encourage you, pray for you. And some of us have experienced the opposite of that, where you've been used and abused. We want people to serve around here, but we don't put pressure on people to serve because so many people come in and they need a season of healing where they've just been pushed and pushed and pushed and almost beaten, almost like this, like we're some kind of slave or something. And we're just not about that life. So we try to give people space while encouraging them to step out in their gifts but also understanding that as people, you're more important than your gift. But some of us in the room have not, you've experienced the opposite of that. And your expectations from a leader has created hurt. Others in the room are feeling the pull of unrealistic expectations. Meaning you have someone or multiple someones in your life that are expecting you to produce more than you're capable of. So you're on the receiving end of it. People are expecting more from you than you have to offer. They're expecting something from you that you don't have to give. And so you're feeling hurt 
as well. You're like, I can't give you this because I don't have it. And the pull is real. They just keep pulling and keep pulling and keep pulling. Here's the word that I think the Lord has for us today. And it's forgiveness. See, some of you in the room, some of us in the room have been hurt and wounded. And because of our expectation of more hurt, I was talking about this a minute ago, we put up this wall of fake protection. And because of this wall, not even God is able to break through. He can't get through. Because every time he tries, just like this father, we say, I believe, but my experience says you're not going to come through. So we keep this wall up and I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to let people in. I'm not going to let the Holy Spirit in. He's going to get so far and then that's it. That's all. Because I'm not going to be let down again. Unmet expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Misplaced expectations. See, some of you are holding a grudge against someone that didn't meet your expectation. Hear what I'm about to say. You will never find healing until you forgive and release that person. Never. The lack of forgiveness is a wall that keeps the power of God from moving in our lives. I also referenced this earlier and I talked about it last week. There are some people in the room, and this sounds strange if you've never even heard this concept. But there's some people in the room that need to forgive God. Even though God's never actually wronged us, what happens is we sometimes hold a grudge against God because He didn't answer a prayer in the way that I thought He would. So He didn't come through on something that I thought He was going to come through on. I had mis- I had, had unrealistic expectations of a situation because instead of my will coming into alignment with the Father's will, I was trying to make His will come into alignment with my will. And that's contrary to Scripture. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and He said, God, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, what you will is what I will do. He didn't beg God to come in. He didn't try to force God's or the Father's hand and say, you come into alignment with what I want. Let's do this another way. He said, whatever it is you want is what I'll do. So we have these unrealistic expectations of times at times. And so we get mad at God because he didn't come through. But it's because we're trying to force him into our will instead of submitting our lives to his and say, whatever it is that you want I mean, that's been part of my, my journey with this building. Others of you honestly have had more faith than I had. You've been staking your claim since the moment we said this place is for sale. And you're like, well, it's ours. And I've been like, okay, God, I want this really bad. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And he just keeps coming through. It keeps coming through. It keeps coming through. Some of you in the room need to forgive God because you're holding a grudge because he didn't answer a prayer. He didn't do what you wanted him to do. He didn't didn't respond to a verse of scripture that, you know, sometimes we take verses of scripture out of context. We just take this one little verse out and we're like, okay, God said, blah, blah. Yeah, but there's some context with that. Forgiveness. 
is so, so very powerful. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I reached out to a few people that I, I trust and that I know they, they know how to pray. And when I begin to pray, they're going to make their way to the front. And guys, we didn't meet before. It's so just make a line across the front here. And I don't know if one person, 10 person, 10 people or everybody's going to come forward. I have no idea. I didn't want it. I didn't want to bring this message, to be honest with you. And then after I got done typing it and I didn't, you know, just looking back at it, I was like, I don't even know if this makes sense. This is what I got. And I'm just going to trust that you want to use this. And so I would encourage you today, if you're experiencing hurt, pain from unmet expectations, that you can find healing today. And so in a second, I'm going to pray. And then the team that I asked, would you come forward and you're going to, you're going to make a line across the front. And it's going to be, there's men and women and whoever you may be comfortable with coming, coming to you. They're just going to pray over you that God will be, be, begin to heal. I believe that there will be instantaneous healing that will happen in this, in this altar, so to speak, here today. But then as you walk out of these doors, you're going to have to walk some things out. You're going to have to start making steps. It's like going to the gym. You don't see it on day one. You see it on day. I never made it past day one. I don't know when. I don't know when you see it, but it's not on day one. But I believe opposite of that, you will experience some healing and some freedom in this place today. It right here. God is going to move by faith. He's going to touch your life. And as we begin to release people and we begin to forgive people who have wronged us, we begin to forgive people that we placed, we've had misplaced expectations on, unrealistic expectations, people that have let us down. As we begin to forgive and release those people, God is going to wash over you in such a way that you'll never be the same again. I really, truly believe that. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.